Let's turn now to God's holy and inspired word as we read that word in the book of Revelation, chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. And we're reading verses 18 through 29. Dealing here with a particular letter to a particular church, but that's also addressed to all churches of all places and times. The Church of Christ indeed is addressed here by its Lord, and we want to heed tonight or listen tonight to what he has to say to the Church of Thyatira. So we, the entire passage then that we read, the entire letter then of Christ to this church will also be the text. Listening then to God's holy, inspired, and infallible word, we read as follows, And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, The words of the Son of God, whose eyes like a flame of fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love, and faith, and service, and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I give her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation, unless they repent of her works, and I will strike her children dead. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will get to each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say I do not lay on you any other burden, only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations." And he will rule them with a rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces. Even as I myself have received authority from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Thus far the reading of God's word and this letter of Christ may the Spirit himself indeed enable us to understand the message of this letter and also to be able then to apply its message to our hearts and lives. Dear people of God, tolerance is a nice sounding word. And what it means and stands for is generally viewed to be a good thing. Tolerance or its similar sounding synonym toleration expresses of course the idea that people have to be accepting of one another and their differences. Not that they must agree with what others believe or do, but they must to some extent tolerate their differences. And that's particularly true in the context of our national life. Our country, the United States of America, is made of people from many different backgrounds, many different races, many different ethnicities. We're a real melting pot as is often said. People have come here from different countries. We're composed of people of different religions and of different ideas. 
Many, in fact, originally came to this country, as you students here may know from history classes, they came here because they wanted toleration. That's why the pilgrims came here in the year 1620, because they were not allowed to practice their faith as they desired to do so in their homeland of England. And so when the Constitution of the United States was drawn up and a Bill of Rights was added to it, the First Amendment stated that Congress could pass no laws which prohibited the free exercise of religion or our freedom of speech. We prize that freedom, don't we? Although in our present time, religious liberty and speech are increasingly under attack in our land, and that's something that should concern all of us. And ironically, that attack is coming from those who often like to tout their, the importance of, of tolerating their particular ideologies, their ideas. But then they turn around, but they don't want to tolerate Christian viewpoints and values and practices. You may remember the case of the Christian baker in Colorado who refused to make wedding cakes for those who wanted to celebrate their gay marriages. And the State Civil Rights Commission came after him, accusing him of discrimination and threatening to shut his business down. This is a few years back. And his case got all the way to the Supreme Court of the United States, which thankfully sided with him and reproved the Colorado Civil Rights Commission for hostility to the baker's religious views. But he still isn't in the clear. Maybe you don't even know that. They're still continuing to go after him, but then using different avenues or angles. You know, I'm convinced that our religious freedoms will continue to be challenged in the future because our Christian values are anathema to many non-Christians and their secular values today. And we just hope that our Supreme Court and lower courts will protect our religious rights and freedoms. But now having said that, having said that, we must also realize that not all toleration is good. There are some things, of course, that we cannot tolerate in a civil society. You would all agree with me that we cannot tolerate crime to go unchecked. We cannot tolerate violence against fellow citizens. We cannot tolerate injustices to be committed or corruption to be exercised. Or in our families and in our schools, we cannot tolerate disrespect and disobedience for authority. If we tolerate those things, we're sowing the seeds of anarchy and chaos. Yes, tolerance can also be a dangerous thing. And tonight, we want to hear what Christ has to say to a church which was tolerant in a dangerous way. Yes, which showed tolerance when it should not have done so. That was essentially the message of Jesus Christ in his letter to the church of Thyatira. And that's still his message to his church today. For all these letters, as I indicated, are addressed to the church of all time. Now, as we look a little more closely at this letter of Christ this afternoon to the church of Thyatira, let me just say a few things about it. The second, first of all, we're going to deal with, uh, with the church itself. What kind of church was this? Then we're going to look at Christ's concern for this church due to the problems that it faced. 
Thirdly, we're going to see what Christ counseled this church to do. And then fourthly and lastly, we will note the promises Christ gives to those in the church who remain true and faithful to him. But first of all, what can we say about the church in the city of Thyatira? Well, it was not a large city in which the church was found, but it was a prosperous city. In fact, it boasted quite a few trade guilds, which means associations of merchants and craftsmen. It, for example, had a guild for the coppersmiths, a guild for weavers, a guild for tanners, and for dyers, D-Y-E-R-S. And so you may recall from the book of Acts that one of Paul's notable converts was a woman by the name of Lydia who lived in the city of Philippi, which is the province of Macedonia, but hailed originally from the city of Thyatira. Lydia was a businesswoman. She was a seller of purple, of purple cloth. And she had taken her trade from Thyatira to Philippi, where she became, by the grace of God, a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ through the ministry of the Apostle Paul. Now, this reference to Lydia in Acts chapter 16 may actually have a double meaning. It not only tells us that she became a Christian, but also it may give us a clue as to how the church in Thyatira came into existence. Because you see, there is no other mention of this church in the rest of the New Testament, except here then in Revelation 2. And so so we don't really know how does this church come to be? It likely was not founded by the Apostle Paul. Otherwise, that would have probably been mentioned somewhere. But could it be that Lydia, after her conversion, went back to Thyatira, or maybe through her business connections there, and that she was the one who was instrumental in starting a church in that city? It's possible. Or perhaps Christians from other nearby cities came to Thyatira and started the church there. Because the reason the early church expanded so rapidly, so fast in the early days of the New Testament, was not because of Paul, not because of Barnabas, or other great missionaries, though these men were indeed great missionaries of Christ, but it was the vibrant testimony of ordinary believers living in the Roman Empire that made such a difference and which made that church grow and spread wherever these Christians lived. In any case, however it happened, a group of Christian believers started a congregation in Thyatira. And it was a church that left its mark on the community. Because you notice how Christ began his letter to them. Ever describe himself in verse 18, he says, The words of the Son of God whose eyes like a blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I'll say a little more about that self-description of Christ pretty soon. But then Christ immediately offers a commendation to this church in verse 19. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. Now that's, that's quite a list of virtues, right? Love, faith, service, and endurance. That's what was exhibited here by this group of Christians. On top of that, Christ says, and your latter works exceed the first. To the church of Ephesus, to which Christ wrote his first letter in Revelation 2, there Christ had said, you've left your first love. 
You've left that original devotion that you once had for me. But here we read that the members in Thyatira had grown in their faith, grown in their love, grown in their service to the Lord. They were doing more, he says, now than they did at first. You know, it's the mark of a living church. That's the mark of a living Christian. Like a healthy plant, we have to be growing and we have to be bearing fruit. Are you growing in your faith, in your knowledge of Christ, in your own spiritual life and walk with Christ? You know, sometimes that may be kind of hard to tell, but that's what we should pray for. That's what we should also begin to see in our lives, that there is a progress in our spiritual knowledge, in our faith, in our service for Christ and for his church and kingdom. The church in Thyatira was was like a growing garden in which the Christian virtues were maturing. And yet, yet in that garden, there was also a poisonous weed that was growing, and a very dangerous one, as we'll see. Because after his words of praise, Christ immediately turns to a major fault he found in this church. They were facing a serious problem in their midst. Which brings us to our second point. Christ had a deep concern for them. Listen to what he writes in in verse 20 to them. He says, nevertheless, after commending them, nevertheless, I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. So what was the problem Christ saw in this church? Well, it revolved around a particular woman in that church who claimed to be a prophetess. But she was actually a false prophetess and was leading the church astray from Christ. And notice he even calls her out by name. He refers to her as that woman Jezebel. Was that her real name? Most commentators think not, but they believe that Christ called her by that name because it particularly suited the kind of person that she was. You, you all know who Jezebel was in the Bible, and I'm sure the Christians in Thyatira knew that name as well. Jezebel was probably the most wicked queen that ever lived and ruled in, in Israel, the wife of one of Israel's most wicked kings, King Ahab. Jezebel was really not an Israelite. She came originally from Tyre. She was daughter of the king of Tyre, and she was an avid worshiper of the pagan deity Baal. And it was through her instigation and through her idolatry and through her immoral worship of Baal that that became the dominant religion in the northern kingdom of Israel. She led Israel away from the Lord. So that only a minority, a minority continued to fear the Lord. In addition, she, she was a very crafty, very crafty and powerful woman. Even the courageous prophet Elijah fled in fear into the wilderness when Jezebel at one point threatened to take his life. And so Jezebel represented all that was false, devious, immoral, and unholy. And now in the church of Thyatira, there was a woman 
who apparently was, was kind of like that Old Testament Jezebel, and leading some of the members of the church into false teaching and unholy conduct. And yet she claimed to be, she claimed to be a Christian, even calling herself a prophetess. That means she claimed that God was somehow, or Christ was somehow speaking through her. Now what was her teaching? Well, in verse 24, Christ addresses those members of the church, quote, who do not hold this teaching, meaning the teaching of Jezebel, of this woman, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan. What that suggests is that this woman was claiming to know some of the deep secret things of Satan. And I'm not sure if that would be referring there to uh, occultic practices like witchcraft or fortune-telling or seances or other occultic practices which persons claim to be able to do by the power of the devil. But it could also refer, in this case, to other practices that have satanic connection, like sexual immorality, eating foods that were sacrificed to idols, In any case, what she was teaching was that to really understand Satan's deep secrets, to really know what the demon world was like. Christians could go along with some of the practices that were practiced by those who served Satan. Uh, maybe, Maybe this Jezebel said, you know, that way you come to understand. You come to understand what that's like, so that you can also then know as a Christian what that, how you must deal with that. And, and you know, it, that sounds kind of reasonable, maybe, at one point to us. I, I remember one time receiving a mailing from the Reader's Digest in, in which they offered me a book. It was entitled, Into the Unknown. And it had a, it included a, a glossy, you know, thing in the, inside that envelope, a glossy description, and it talked all about the spirit world that was being explained there, and about parapsychology, astrology, speaking with the dead, spiritual powers, working behind the scenes. That was all included there in that book. And of course, they wanted me to buy that book. And supposedly, it would enlighten us or the readers as to that unknown spiritual realm. And by the way, By the way, I have seen quite a few of those kinds of books, actually, on local public library shelves, all dealing with the demon, satanic world. And and there are many people, even Christians, who are kind of interested, kind of interested in in that demonic spiritual world. And so do some members of the church in Thyatira. It may have sounded reasonable. This woman said, I can teach you. I can teach you the deep secrets of Satan. And I said also earlier, as you remember, that Thyatira boasted a lot of trade guilds. That is, associations of various trades, men and women like Lydia. And while it may have been that, you know, for, for good business reasons, there was an advantage then, of course, to belong to these guilds. But there were also typically pagan and demonic practices connected to these associations. These guilds had their own idols. 
They sacrificed food to those idols, often accompanied by a lot of partying and sexual immorality that many of these people practiced in their guilds. And maybe that woman Jezebel said, well, you know, that's okay. Uh, you, you know, we can go along with some of that. It will give us an insight into the secrets of Satan. Well, maybe a contemporary parallel to all of this, people of God, might be the temptation that Christians may face when they also attend business association meetings, conventions of particular professions or trades where it isn't only business that is being talked about, but then also in the evenings there's lots of partying as well, there's drinking, there's dancing, there's immoral activity going on. All of that goes on behind the scenes of our world. And and the Christian can be easily drawn into that if he isn't careful. Or or, or he may justify by saying, well, you know what, that's the real world we live in. We, We cannot be isolated from these things. We have to be willing to go along with some of that. Well, that was what the prophetess Jezebel was trying to tell the church of Thyatira. However, Christ wasn't only concerned about her influence in that church, but he was just as concerned about the church's response to her. Now listen again very carefully to the words in verse 20. Jesus says, but I have this against you, he's talking to the entire church here, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. And the key word there is tolerate. How can you tolerate her teaching and conduct? You see, this is one kind of toleration that is not at all good. This, in fact, is a very dangerous toleration which can lead the church down a wrong path, the path of ruin. The church of Thyatira, Christ found, had a major failure here. It failed to deal with her, with this false teacher, with this prophetess. Faithful discipline is a mark of the true church. Our Belgian Confession of Faith tells us in Article 29 that one of the marks of the true church, alongside the true preaching of the gospel, and the faithful administration of the sacraments is also the faithful exercise of discipline. And how necessary that can be so that ungodliness and allowing sin may not grow in the ranks of the body of Christ. That would be like a farmer or like a gardener who tolerates weeds to go unchecked in his fields or in his garden and saying, well, you know, let them grow. It's not going to harm too much. My crops will be okay. My garden will be okay. And before long, if unchecked, the weeds begin to cover the entire field or they overtake the garden and they snuff out the good plants. And the same will be true of the Church of Christ. If false teachers are allowed to continue sowing their tares among the wheat, if they are tolerated and not disciplined, 
It will not be long or it will hinder the spiritual well-being of all the members. And it may be the end result that the church will bear less and less fruit as it deteriorates spiritually. That's what the church of Thyatira was allowing to happen. You tolerate that woman Jezebel, writes Jesus. And perhaps they meant well. Maybe they intended to be patient and to be kind with this woman. They, they wanted to give her more time. But Christ says in verse 21, I gave her time to repent of her immorality, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Uh, Christ was not advocating acting hastily. He had given her time, apparently, an opportunity to repent, but she had resisted his warnings and refused to repent. And therefore he tells the church of Thyatira, you can't let her continue to give you her false teaching and to tempt you with her seductive conduct. You have to act. You must do something. If you don't, I will act. I will take action, he says. Listen to what he says in verses 22 and 23. He says, Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who committed adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation, unless they repent of her works, and I will strike her children dead. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give each of you according to your works. Notice he doesn't mince any words, does he? That's why Jesus began his letter to the church of Thyatira by describing himself in verse 18. The words of the Son of God, whose eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. That was how Christ had already revealed himself to John in his vision recorded in Revelation chapter 1. Where John saw him with eyes like a flame of fire and his feet were like burnished bronze. What it means is that Christ not only sees everything that happens, but like a fire that blazes, he will judge, and he will indeed destroy all wickedness and evildoers. He says he would inflict suffering and sickness on that false prophetess Jezebel and those who had committed adultery with her, uh, which, uh, by the way, is a phrase that could be taken literally, but I think more likely it means those who had embraced her teachings. They too would suffer with her. And it says he would strike her children. Again, that could mean her literal children, but more likely, I think he's saying here, all those who had become her followers, her devotees, Christ would strike them all dead. That was a severe judgment the Lord would bring upon them. And you ask yourself, well, why would Christ bring that kind of severe judgment on his church? You know, it's because he loves his church. <clears throat> he loves his church. <clears throat> Indeed, he wants to protect the body for whom he gave his life. Her existence was at stake. Churches, as we all know, who once stood very squarely and strongly on the word of God and proclaimed the teachings of the gospel faithfully, but then left it, were seduced by false prophets who advocated a false gospel, who tempted the church to allow or to tolerate immoral practices 
as many churches today are endorsing in their acceptance, for example, of homosexuality. That's all right. That's okay. We don't need to discipline them. We have to accept that. It's a sure path to a church's death. In effect, that is Christ's judgment upon them. As he tells the church of Thyatira, I will strike her children dead. Yes, he will give each church and each member according to their works. You know, it's the wonder that our Lord then proceeds to give his counsel to this church, to which I now turn thoroughly this afternoon. What should they do instead of tolerate, tolerating this woman Jezebel and her teaching? Listen to what Christ tells them as we now go to verses 24. And he says there, But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden, only hold fast what you have until I come. Note Christ counsels this church to hold fast what they already have. What did they already have? What did they possess? For one thing, they knew the gospel. They had the truth of the gospel by which they had come to know the way of salvation, by which they had come to know Christ as the Savior and the Lord in whom their only trust must be. They knew him to be the Lord who had now ascended and was reigning in heaven. And indeed, this is the truth of the gospel and the word of God that we have today still, and we have it even in a richer form, in greater form than the church of Thyatira possessed it. Because you have to remember the New Testament was not yet fully compiled in that first century of the church. We now have the word of God in its completeness, in all of its sufficiency. We can know now about the life and the teachings of Jesus set forth in the four Gospels. We can understand the rich meaning of his death and resurrection so beautifully set forth in the writings of the epistles of the apostles. We have the Gospel in a much fuller, richer way in our possession. And we have received on top of that the heritage of the Reformers who opened our eyes again to the grand biblical truths of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, all taught us in his word alone. How rich we are in knowing that faith. And in his goodness, God has given us churches, homes, and schools, and other Christian institutions where we and our children can be instructed and where we can be guided where we can be encouraged, where we can be enabled there to serve our King in all the aspects of our lives. We have a treasure of divine blessing that's been passed down to us. And Christ says to us, I do not place on you any other burden, any other duty than this. Only hold fast what you have until I come. Hold on to it. Hold it firmly. As the Apostle Jude wrote in his letter, contend earnestly for the faith, once for all delivered to the saints. Never let go of the glorious truth of the gospel and of God's word in your mind, in your heart, in your life. 
And people of God, if we do that, Christ gives us to know fourthly and lastly this afternoon some great promises. As he typically does in all his letters to the churches recorded, these letters recorded here in the book of Revelation. And let me just look at those briefly with you as we conclude today. There are two, two great promises our Savior and Lord set before, sets before us. Now first he says in verses 26 and 27, the one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, I will give authority over the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. And now in that last part, uh, verse 27, Jesus is actually referring, no doubt, to Psalm 2, which speaks of him prophetically as the Messiah King whom God has sent and placed on his throne to rule over the nations and who will dash his enemies to pieces like a potter's vessel if they seek to disobey him and disregard him. God the Father has given his son all the power, all the authority over heaven and earth when he seated him at his right hand. But now here, here, amazingly, Christ promises that those who conquer, he means those who overcome, who stay true to him, who serve him faithfully, they're the conquerors. He says, they will join me in exercising that authority and rule over the nations. Not as equals to him, certainly, but yet alongside of him. I'm not sure what that exactly will look like. But the Bible says in other places that, you know, believers will reign with Christ. And I think most obviously that will come to fulfillment in that new creation that will come about after the return of Christ. That in that new universe, we will reign. We will reign with Christ over this new world. As God gave Adam and Eve dominion over that first perfect creation that he fashioned. And then Christ gives us another promise. He says to those who conquer, in verse 28, and I will give him the morning star. What does our Lord mean by that? No doubt he's employing symbolical language here, as he does in Revelation 22, verse 16, where Christ calls himself, he says, I am the bright morning star. He means I'm the one who has dawned, who has risen, to give eternal life and light to my people and to this world. But Christ himself says here that when he indeed is our morning star, when his light and life shine in us, it's also a new day for us, a new dawn for us. Then we too will be light. Then we will enjoy living in his light, but also we'll be shedding forth his light in our lives. Yes, indeed. Christ says, and I give you the morning star. And I believe that he means here that we can be assured that we will always live then and enjoy the brightness of him who is the sun. We will always live in his presence. We will serve him as lights. We're still living today as you well know, in a dark and evil world. 
But people of God, if we remain true to Christ, if we live as children of light in this world, we can be assured that one day we will shine like Him, like that morning star, and will come to live in the light and life of His eternal presence. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Christ, we are grateful again to hear you speaking to us, to your people tonight. How good it is again, O Lord, to listen to your voice. For you are the one who reigns and who lives, who walks among the candlesticks, who walks in the midst of the churches today, the one who reigns over his church, who loves his church. Therefore also you've given us these letters so that we as your church may indeed be instructed, may be warned, may be encouraged, may be directed to do your will, to be your servants, faithful and true in our lives today. O Lord, may the light of Christ shine through us As we go forth into this new week, help us, we pray, to be the children of light in our lives, in our obedience, our faithfulness to your word, in our attitudes, in all of our deeds. May we indeed be reflectors of him who is the bright morning star, even as we anticipate that great and glorious day. We will reign with him and be like him morning stars in his eternal presence. In his blessed name, in your blessed name, Lord Jesus, we pray this. Amen.